So I feel that it is an appropriately uh, gray and rainy morning for this week because, <clears throat> well, you'll see. <laughs> you'll see. You'll see. Um, here we go. Let's start, on a, let's start on an up note. So nearly every single day somewhere in the world, there's a terror attack. <laughs> you like that up note? <laughs> no, we're starting from the beginning. There is. All around the world, almost every day, there's a terror attack somewhere, and, and <clears throat> this isn't a new phenomenon. These things have been happening for years and years and years and years. But as Americans, we don't really pay attention a whole lot because those things are happening on the other side of the world um, in countries that are a lot of sand and we just can't relate at all. We don't, you know, every once in a while we see something come across our newsfeed maybe and we're just like, oh, that was a thing. If we even bothered to stop and acknowledge them um, at all. Because after all, we're Americans and we tend to only be concerned with the things that bother us, right? Um, or affect us. And so <laughs> things kind of changed a little bit in that whole realm when 9-11 happened. Um, that kind of changed the idea of the mindset of a lot of people in our country. Because all of a sudden this thing that was way far off somewhere else in the world, all of a sudden a piece of it hit home and it was right on us. And, and, and there was a feeling of... Um, of, um, uh, what is this, almost unreachability that we had because of our location and our power and our everything that all, all of a sudden was, was changed. Um, and, and a level of fear sat in, you know, began to set in within people within the country. And, and as is true in probably any area in which people have any kind of influence whatsoever, that fear was leveraged to do some really terrible things. And then things started happening in countries that were more like ours that we started paying a whole lot more attention to. We're starting to see, you know, you start to see things happening in cities like London and Madrid and Paris. And it's like, oh, well, these aren't just some countries over there that we have nothing in common with. These are, these are cities like our cities. These are, these are people who live the way that we live and they're dealing with these things. And, and you know, there's times that I've been, kind of glued to coverage of some of the events, some of the terror events that have happened in some of these cities and some of the things that have gone on. And, and as you watch things going on in cities that even though they're still somewhere else, they feel more like our cities, then you start having things going on here. And you have things like the, the San Bernardino attack and things that happen like happened in Orlando and in Las Vegas and, and Americans watch the coverage of these things. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden there's a whole new level of fear. Who's to blame? How did this happen? How are we going to protect ourselves? What are we going to change? And there's things being thrown out from um, every just possible angle of this story. And some people are yelling, oh, it's their fault. And others are like, no, it's their fault. And it's not our fault. It's your fault. And you're going to make it worse with what you want to do. And no, your thing's making it worse. And we just, and there's just this level of just, just fear and anxiety um, that surrounds the whole entire thing. And, and, and to complicate things further, as much as I really wish this weren't the case, there's a, um, there's a thread of religion that runs through all of it. 
right? There's this idea that kind of runs through all of these events and all of these things. And for the last several years, I mean, we, we have watched on the news and we've seen thousands of men and women and children who've been murdered and executed and tortured and enslaved by people are, who, who are part of their same religion. But even though they're part of the same religion, they're looking at these people that they're doing these things to, and they're like, well, they're not doing our religion right. They're, they're not doing it right. They, they're the people who are perpetrating these things, they believe, oh, well, these people that we're doing this against, they're, they're too moderate or they're too liberal within how they do our religion and they need to be more conservative and they need to take it more serious. And so you see groups of people within the same religion just warring with each other. But in addition to that, it's not just some other religion that, that's happening to, what's happening to Christians all over the world. I mean, it, it's pretty bad. The last few years have been um, the worst years in modern history for the persecution of Christians worldwide. In 2015, over 7,000 people were killed purely because of their Christianity. And so there's this thing that's kind of happening in it. And that aspect of it, that all, that part of it, that still seems way over there. And we kind of, okay, don't really relate to that. But then you see more reports and 2,500 churches were destroyed last year, Christian churches, just because they were Christian churches. And, and we don't feel that here in the U.S., but we're starting to on the fringe, kind of feel some of those things and be aware of them as this whole idea of just, um, you know, just, just terror and things that are just seem so out of control and things we feel like we need to protect ourselves seem to be moving closer and closer to home. And we're going to be forced to decide. I mean, there are conversations that we're having theoretically, but, but there probably will come a time. And this is not some kind of doomsday prophecy, but, but there will be a time when you're going to be forced to decide or forced to be aware of how to deal with the fear and anxiety that raise out of these things. And some of you may already have those types of fears and anxiety, but, but probably most of us are going to have to figure out how to feel with that. How, how secure is secure enough? How, how many bullets are bullet enough? How much defense is defense enough? How, how much... How much hiding can you do? How much can you withdraw from the world and and protect yourself before it becomes too much? What do you do about your kids? What do you do about public gatherings that seem to be easy targets? What do you do about all of these things? And and as individuals, we're going to have to decide what to do about these things. And and if you're a Christian, there's something else that you got to keep in mind with all of this. And that is that well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let, let's go back to start the discussion. To begin the discussion, I, I want to go back to the very beginning of Christianity, and specifically the event that kicked off Christianity. And it was an event that, that at the same time was simultaneously horrible and beautiful at the same time. And in this event, there is a standard set for every single one of us who choose 
to declare ourselves to be followers of Jesus. And we forget this because we live in, we live in America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, the we can do whatever we want and we have our rights and there aren't really too many repercussions for us. But there's a negative side to that. And sometimes we have so much freedom that we don't really realize what we have. And even more than that, we filter everything that we do through our faith, through kind of the freedoms that we've been given. And in many ways, it cheapens our faith. And it makes our faith shallow. And and none of us in here have faced persecution for our faith. I've heard some people talk about, oh yeah, I I faced persecution for my faith. And then they tell me about somebody making fun of them at lunch and stuff like that. No, 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 this is not, (laughs) this is not what we're talking about, persecution for our faith. But but we never really feel the pressure. And so consequently, what's at the epicenter of this event really sets the tone for Christianity and, and we've missed it. And we've not had to lean into this aspect of Christianity in our country. Um, On one hand, fortunately, we haven't had to, but on the other hand, it's left us a little shallow. But the day may come where we might have to. In the beginning, Jesus, who is at the center of all things Christian, who we're, we're supposed to put our attention on, our focus on, take our cues from, that we read stories about. In the beginning, Jesus, he was, he was betrayed by a friend. He was unjustly arrested. He went through a sham of a trial. He was illegally tried and convicted. And he was beaten just to keep people happy. And like, wait, 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 just to keep people happy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The gospel writer, Mark, he says this. He says, wanting to satisfy the crowd. So why did this happen? Because there was a crowd of people gathered and they wanted something. And so he was going to satisfy them. So to keep these people happy, Pilate, who was the governor of Judea, who oversaw the trial of Jesus because the Jewish people did not have the legal authority to put Jesus on trial and then to execute him. Pilate released Barabbas to them and he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now, I bet there are some of you sitting here right now thinking, thinking, Andy, I know you're getting older and your memory is not what it used to be. And, and, and I know that you have a lot going on. You know, I, we keep up, we, I know you got a lot going on. And, and I, you have this whole beard thing happening. So clearly you're having some kind of midlife, you know, um, crisis or uh, identity issue. And so you're, you know, there's a lot of, there's clearly, Andy, a lot of things you're going through. And so maybe you forgot and we'll cut you some slack, but <clears throat> last week was Easter. Right, so we talked about, you know, this and the resurrection. And, um, Andy, if you wanted to talk about the crucifixion, you should have done that before Easter. You're out of order. You're, you're, you're out of order. So to, to which I would reply, well, you would think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> you would think that's the order that we want to do it. But bear with me. There's a method to my madness. To appease a large crowd gathered for the festival, he, he released a criminal and he had Jesus beaten. 
And, and if I were to go into detail about the beating that Jesus took, I could probably make some of you sick enough to your stomach that you'd probably have to get up and get out of the room. Um, if I went into detail, you all probably would be really upset that not only is it cold and rainy and you got out of bed and came in because you didn't realize how cold it was till you went to your car, <laughs> but then you're gonna be like, then I came in and you did this. Like, I'm, you know, I might lose you for a month before you forgive me. Um, but listen, we read by this and we read by it really quickly. And there's a tendency to not really appreciate what Jesus went through. And so without going into detail, I just wanna say these beatings were designed um, to essentially skin a person alive with a whip. And this is, what, this is what Pilate had done in order to satisfy a crowd. And after Jesus was beaten, he was taken back to headquarters where a bunch of Roman soldiers gathered around and they mocked him. And Matthew, who was an eyewitness to all of the things that Jesus did in his ministry while he was on earth, he, he writes this about what the soldiers did. He says, they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Which, listen, <clears throat> there's times, have you ever had like a piece of skin on the edge of your finger now, right? And you're like, oh, I just need to get that. And then it like peels back too far. And there's that little sore spot right there. And you're just like, is that not like the worst pain ever? And you're just like, like, yeah, baby. Like, imagine your whole back with that feeling and then something being placed on you. And I'm pretty sure they didn't place it on him gingerly. But this is what they do. I can't, I can't imagine the pain. And then they twisted together a crown of thorns that, that we've kind of romanticized and reduced to artwork but they twisted it together and set it on his head and they put a staff in his right hand and then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. And they spit on him and they took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again. And, and as if that were not enough, Pilate handed down the maximum sentence. There was no mercy to be had for Jesus. And the Romans didn't invent the crucifixion it had been invented long before that, but the Romans perfected the crucifixion. And they set it all up in such a manner that the entire point was not death. I mean, death was a result, but that wasn't the point. The point was keep the person alive as long as possible for extended amounts of pain and for extended amounts of humiliation. Crucifixions were warnings to all of the Jewish people and not just the Jewish people, but in every area that Rome conquered. They were warnings to anyone who would have any ideas of causing any sort of trouble and any sort of uprising. Don't you dare, or this will be you. And so Matthew continues his description about what happened. And, and he says this about when Jesus was on the cross. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, come down from the cross if you are the son of God. He saved others, they said, but he cannot save himself. Now, this is a person who had done a lot of things and had had quite the following, was a very public persona, and now he had caused enough trouble to the powers that be that here he is on a cross. But let's not forget, Jesus was not captured while trying to flee to Egypt to evade arrest. 
Jesus was not captured as he made his way out into the desert of Engedi to hide in the caves that David had hid in when he was taking refuge and hiding from Saul. He wasn't captured at some port city trying to catch a boat to go somewhere out into the Mediterranean to hide amongst other people so that he would not be discovered. Your savior, my savior, walked into the city of Jerusalem under his own power, on purpose, knowing full well that this would be his fate. He rode into Jerusalem on Main Street in broad daylight. Now, one of the problems that we come across as American Christians is artwork and movies. And I don't mean this to be derogatory because there's so much, especially medieval art of Jesus and artists are, artists are so influenced by their time and the period that they're in. So I don't want to get on all the artists. And when it comes to the movies, the Jesus movies, I would be no good at casting anybody. And so, I, and come on, people who make movies, you know, they're not... <laughs> They're not trying to really share the story with us. They're in it to make money and be kind of entertaining about it. And so, you know, what they're concerned with in accuracy maybe isn't always the case. But, but most of us, when we get a picture of Jesus in our head, we, we get a picture that looks something like this, right? We see all kinds of framed artwork, pictures and things of this. But, but this, this is wrong, it's what so many of us came up with and we think what Jesus is, but, but it's wrong. It's not accurate. Listen, the things that Jesus pulled off and the things that Jesus did, this guy couldn't have done. He couldn't have done. Your, your, your savior was extraordinarily bold. He was extraordinary. He walked into the temple. See, because we get all the movies are just like this passive. Like, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure most all of the Jesuses in the movies are on some kind of antidepressant so that they just feel nothing. And they're just like, oh. man, that was, that was not Jesus. He, walk, he walked into the temple, and it, it's hard for us to even understand the context of this. But he walked into the temple, and he flipped tables, and he ran everyone out of the court of the Gentiles. Because, because they were selling animals that were abomination and they were exchanging money at rates that were criminal. And he became so angry at what they were doing to the temple that he ran them all out. And when the temple leaders confronted him, it, 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 it's amazing. They didn't confront some just passive, peaceful looking dude. They didn't confront him and say, well, well why, why, why did you do that? What are you doing? What's going on? They didn't question him. No, 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 Jesus, like he had a presence about him. And when he did it, there was such authority with, with what he did that when they came and they confronted him, they didn't question like, what do you think you're doing? Their response to him was, who do you think you are? Because there was a presence about him. So much so, there, there was something about it, his countenance 
that just overflowed with authority so much that they even asked the question directly, by whose authority do you do these things? He, he, he was not a, he was not the meek and mild character that so many of us have thought that he was. Your savior was bold. Your savior was as strong as steel. He was braver than hell itself and he was fearless. And that savior, that Jesus says to us, follow me. That is come along and be involved with the things that I'm involved with. Do the things that I do. Live the way that I live. And in fact, he said it like this in Mark. He says, then he called the crowd to him and along with his disciples. And he said, whoever wants to be my disciple or whoever wants to follow me or be associated with me must deny themselves. It's not a popular idea in our culture. That is saying no to yourself. No to what your agenda is, what it is that you want, what you think you want to go after. And saying, yes, God, whatever your will is, that's what I want. I want to do your will. But listen, if you are going to be a follower of Jesus, there will come a day where you are going to have to make a decision to deny yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself and take up their cross and follow me. That means you're gonna have to follow me. You're gonna have to follow me when it feels safe and when it doesn't feel safe. You're gonna have to follow me when it helps you and when it looks like it's gonna hurt you. You have to follow me when it seems like it's gonna benefit you and when it seems like it's gonna cost you. And Jesus knows us. Right, We're, our spirit, our tendencies are no secret to him. Over and over in the gospels, the writers say, and Jesus knew the heart of man. In fact, it's common to go through, comical to go through and read just the number of times that somebody was thinking something and coming up with a question and an idea and Jesus addressed it and answered it before the question ever came out of their mouth because he knew the heart of man. Jesus understood our need for security. He understood our propensity for safety, our our aversion to risk within our lives. He understood and he knows the, the drive within us to be in a safe, comfortable place. He knows this about us. He understood that. So when he gathered his, his followers around before he was arrested and before he was crucified, he would say things like this. He would say, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. (laughs) We're like, whoa, 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 Jesus, this is escalating quickly. What are you talking about here? And he says, don't be afraid of someone who all they can do is harm your body, but cannot kill the soul. Yeah, but Jesus, it seems like you should be afraid of something. Okay, if you wanna be afraid of something, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul. Saying you wanna be afraid of something? You look to God, fear God. Don't fear anybody or anything that can only affect your body. 
Because Jesus knows the emotion of fear is going to happen. It's going to rise up. None of us, none of us have the ability to say, I'm gonna do everything in life and I'm never gonna be afraid one time. Because that emotion rises up. Fear takes us by surprise sometimes when you're not even expecting it. And all of a sudden there's that tinge of fear. And Jesus says, listen, when that happens, when that rises up, remember there is something to fear, but it's not what we naturally fear. And it's not about what we naturally fear about. And Jesus tells us never allow someone or a group of someone's or something that can only kill your body to which we're like only, he's like, yeah, only, don't allow those to rule your life. Which is easy to say, right? It's easy. I mean, they're all taking notes. Matthew's back there. Jesus talking. He's writing notes. Okay, I got that down. Oh, don't be afraid of anything. You got it. Jesus looks up and he says, hmm, I don't think you got it. Well, no, I wrote it down right here. No, nah, I don't think you get it. So he says, let's get on a boat, guys. Let's go for a ride. They get on the boat. Jesus crawls to the back, lays down. He's going to take a nap. Why not? These guys are all lifelong boat guys. They've spent their life on the Sea of Galilee. Fishermen, they know what they're doing. So Jesus goes down, lays down. In my mind, I picture it. He's laying down and he's got a big old smile on his face because he knows what's coming. He knows what's getting ready to happen. In fact, in fact, a lot of times I make up some stuff to fill in some gaps whenever I'm reading the scriptures. One of them is, I don't think Jesus really ever fell asleep there. <laughs> I think the whole time he was just hiding under the, <laughs> hiding under the blanket, just chuckling to himself. <laughs> they have no idea. <laughs> he thinks he's got it. He ain't got it. We'll see. We'll see. So they get out there. Storm rises up. And it was a heck of a storm because these lifelong fishermen were afraid that they, they thought they were sinking and they were dying. So they're like, oh, we got to wake Jesus up. We got to go get him. He's got to bail us out of this. They'd seen, him, they'd seen him do these things. So they go back and they wake Jesus up and they're panicked and they're afraid. Jesus responds to him like this. Oh, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? They're like, what do you mean, why are we afraid? Because we're getting ready to drown. <laughs> Jesus is like, no, 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 I told you. I told you you didn't get it. I told you, you don't need to be afraid of something that can only kill your body. We've talked about this, guys. Why are you afraid? What do you mean, Jesus? We're afraid because we're gonna drown. Yeah, 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 yeah but why are you afraid? That's the thing, but why are you afraid? It's because you have not embraced and have not taken hold of what it is that I have taught you when it comes to this. Sure, guys, you, you love it when, you know, when things are going well and we walk into a town and all of a sudden the crowds gather and because you're with me, you guys are rock stars and you're popular. And when everything's going good, you're right, you know, you, you enjoy all of that and that part's great. But listen, that's coming to an end quickly. I know you've enjoyed those moments. But listen, if you can trust me when things are going well, then why would you not trust me when things begin to turn? 
I told you, I told you, I told you. Do not fear anything that can only touch your body and not touch your soul. So, so then he got up. Jesus got up from his fake nap. I don't know if it was fake. I made that up. And he rebukes the winds and the waves. And it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Mark, when he tells his version of this story, he takes the verb form and the noun form of fear and he puts them together in the same sentence right after each other. He literally says, when talking about the disciples, he says, and they feared a great fear. That's how he says, they feared great fear, meaning their latter fear was greater than their former fear. And that was the point. Jesus said, look, if you're gonna be afraid of something, like your fear needs to get bigger. That fear that all of a sudden, like, oh my gosh, who is this man that can control the weather and their fear got bigger? He's like, yeah, God's a whole lot bigger. That's something that you should fear. And so when you begin to fear and it begins to overwhelm you and you feel that anxiety beginning to build within you about whatever it is that's causing it, you say to yourself, you remind yourself, no, I do not succumb to this fear. I do not submit to it. I do not say yes to the fear of something that can only affect my body because my ultimate allegiance is to God who controls both body and soul. Now, for some of us, this might be extremely relevant today. Some of you may be dealing with some anxieties in life, some fears that just are out of control some things that are creeping up. Many of us are facing uncertainty in life. And listen, if there's one certainty in life, it's that there's gonna be a lot of uncertainty. (laughs) That you know, uncertainty is unavoidable. But here's the message of Jesus. Uncertainty is unavoidable, but fearfulness is optional. See, too many times we're just like, no, 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 no. Those things go together. When there's uncertainty, there's fear and anxiety. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. That's not true at all. There will be uncertainty, but living a fearful life is optional. Fear isn't optional. The emotion will rise, but, but living the fearful life, submitting to that emotion, allowing that emotion to consume you and to control you and to influence your actions, that is always optional. And Jesus proved it through his life, and his death with the way he without fear, not because it wasn't scary, but without fear, faced those things. And it wasn't just Jesus. Listen, the reason we're here talking about this today is because of people like the apostle Paul who wrote half of the New Testament. Paul was arrested, stoned to death and left for dead. That means he was drug outside of the city by a group of people who could only affect his body, was stoned with stones and left to die. That is left to bleed out, laying on the side of the road for animals to come and eat his body. And they went back and had dinner. That's what happened there. Paul, (laughs) he woke up from being knocked out by rocks dusted himself off and kept going. 
And when he kept going, he did not go back home to Jerusalem and say, okay, I'm gonna go back to where I'm from and where I'm safe and where it is. And God, you know, I've done my part. I've paid a price. You're gonna have to find somebody else from here on out. That's not what he did. Even though he knew of the dangers that literally awaited his physical body, he pressed forward. I wanna do the will of God for my life. And he continued to travel around the Mediterranean Rim, planting churches and making an amazing difference in the things that were going on. All of the people who were the immediate followers of Jesus, who spread the message out of the first century, all of them, except for John, met their end through death because of their faith. But it didn't stop them. As they would get word, oh no, another one of us has been killed. They did not live a fearful life. They did not fear that which could only affect the body. They were bold and fearless in following the will that God had for their life. In the first and second century, there are just so many documents that have been saved that that document the spread of the message of Christ. And the early followers, there, there were documents that were found from a physician in Rome who under Nero, what he would do was the, the, the Christians who had just been mauled in the Colosseum by animals, he would be the one that would go out when they were there and inspect the bodies. And it was kind of um, a privilege for him because the Romans didn't allow you to mess with dead bodies. And so it was kind of the one moment where they got in there and were able to do something real quick and learn some things. And he had some writings. He, here's what he wrote about Christians. He wrote, for fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something that we witness in them every day. In other words, here are these people that we take sport in killing them and they are not afraid because they learned as followers of Jesus how to live in the face of fear without being afraid fearful. Listen, every time you pick up your English Bible and you read those words, that that you need to understand. William Tinsdale brought you those words fearlessly. He stood up to a power structure that had a lot to lose from a man saying every single person should have access to this on their own without having to go through somebody else. And through all sorts of opposition, translated from the Hebrew and the Greek into English, the words of the scriptures so that people would have them. And he was considered, he was considered a heretic. He was arrested. He was publicly strangled and his body was burned. But he was fearless. He was fearless. Two years after his death, two years, that's fast. Two years, his Bible was declared the official Bible of England. Two years would never have happened without him learning to stand in the face of fear without being afraid, without being afraid. 
because somehow it dawned on him, I do not need to fear that which can only touch my body. So this leads me to two perplexing questions that I struggle to answer for myself and I for sure can't answer them for you. The answers to these questions are just so convicting. And so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put these questions out there and you're gonna have to wrestle with your answers. First one is this. Is our version of Christianity worth all that? Is what we're doing and the way we're, 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 we're living our lives and practicing Christianity, it, it, are we, is it worth everything that it took to get our faith to the 21st century? Is your version of Christianity and what you're experiencing worth dying for? Now, here's the good news. The good news is you're, you're not gonna have to ever make that choice. You're not. Being Christians in America, you're not, you're not gonna ever have to face that. But is our version of Christianity worth dying for? Because in today's world, there are people who are dying for Christianity. And I'll tell you something, their version of Christianity doesn't look like ours. Their priorities are not the same. Their goals are not the same. The outcomes of their faith are not the same. Are, are we serious? Are we denying ourselves? Or is our faith just kind of a supplement to the thing we wanna be doing and that just kind of, all right, now I've hit them all. And that's what our Christian faith is. Here's, here's another question. It is, is the way we live worth the price they paid? When you look back at the tremendous price that it took for the message of Christ to spread, would Paul, would Peter, would they look at our lives now and say, wait, wait, you're worried about what? You're afraid of what? Are you for real? Listen, would the Christians in Iraq and Syria and Pakistan who are facing real persecution, if, if they were to look at our lives here in America as American Christians, would they even begin to be able to understand the anxiety and the fear that so many of us live under? Would that even begin to make sense? And this isn't to shame you. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to, to shame you. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get you to think about how serious you take your faith and why do you have the anxiety and the fear about the things that you have anxiety and fear about in life? Why is it? Now, it's easy to kind of look back in the Bible and some history books and to find like these ancient stories of things that happened, right? Or talk about people who are on the other side of the world because it's all just kind of so disconnected. It's not really, you know, it's not our culture. It's not where we live. It's not the things that we deal with and the things that we've gone through. And so it's like, oh, well, yeah, but, you know, they were brave and they stood up to the face of fear and they lived fearless lives, you know, but it was a different time. It was a different place. And it's easy to just kind of, not really understand the fullness of what it is that they did. 
And so I, I, I was watching a lot of videos this week. And, and I came across one that when I watched it, I'm just like, oh my goodness. Just the way this timing fell with this week and everything that was going on and what I'm talking about Sunday. And I watched it and it's like, this is, this is it. If we want somebody closer to us that, that we're familiar with of what does it look like? What does it look like to be a person who denied themselves? What does it look like for it to not just be an abstract idea, but like, okay, this is something that happened in our country and our culture. And what does it look like? What does it look like for somebody to pick up their cross and to follow Jesus and to not fear that which can only touch the body? I saw this video. This is, this is a man who understood that all of it is in the hands of God. Look, look at this. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Those, are, those, are, those were his last public words. The next day he would be shot and killed. And I watch that, I'm just struck. This is a man who lived with faith in the face of fear. He knew his life was in danger. But he said, I will not fear that which can only touch my body. I mean, I look at that and I'm like, man, <laughs> if I was a conspiracy theorist, you, you, couldn't have, you couldn't have written a more amazing final public statement. I fear no man. I just want to do God's will because my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Listen, fearlessness in the face of fear changed the world 2,000 years ago. Fearlessness in the face of fear caused a revolution in our country 50 years ago. Are any of you going to be asked to give your life for something? No, probably not. But in the light of all of this, you have got to face the question, am I living a faith 
that would even be worth doing that for? And if you're not, what are you doing? What are you trying to accomplish? What's the point? Because it's not until you can get to that point in your faith where you are living a Christianity to where you can say, God, I have my trust and my faith in you and I will not fear in the face of obstacles. I will not fear in the face of things that come my way. Because why am I afraid? Why would I be anxious? Where are my eyes focused? Because listen, to follow Jesus is to be fearless. And we've been a little lucky being Christians in the US because we haven't been called on to be fearless in some of these situations, but, but maybe that's not true. Maybe there's some situations we should be being fearless in and we're just choosing not to. We're, we're gonna talk about this over the next couple of weeks. And man, this week, I, I'm, when I'm praying this week, I, I, I'm, praying, I'm praying for God to reign conviction on your soul. <laughs> Are you fearful? Do you have anxiety? If you do, why? Where are you looking? If you're not, is it because you're that confident in God or is it because you've not put yourself in a position to where you're gonna face anything that would cause fear? That's just as wrong. If we wanna be followers of Christ, if we want our lives to be different, if we want to affect change around us, we have got, we have got to put ourselves into positions where naturally we should be afraid. But our faith is such that we approach it fearlessly. So this week I'm, I'm praying that God start to bring to your mind Either why are you worrying about things that you don't need to be worrying about because your focus isn't where it is or why have you so insulated yourself that you are not affecting change around you and putting yourself in situations that may be a little scary. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is within all of us and you know this, to seek out security and safety, and comfort. Lord, this is not the faith, this is not the Christianity that you've called us to. This is not the version of the faith that you gave your life for. This is not the version of the faith that all of those who sacrifice so much to allow Christianity to reach the 21st century so that we have the privilege to sit in a room like this and chat about it. This is not the version. God, I pray that both individually and corporately as a church, that God, you move us closer to the type of faith that we should be having. 
that you move us closer to the things that you want us involved in, the things that capture your heart, the things that make a difference. Because if we're not making a difference, what's the point? What's the point? God, I pray this week you convict us of the things that we have allowed to cause anxiety and fear that have no place causing us to live a fearful life. Lord, I pray that you convict us if we've so sheltered ourselves that we face nothing scary. Lord, I thank you for the extent you went to to establish relationship with us. Lord, now let us come in your direction. I thank you for your mercy and for your grace. In your name, amen. Amen. Be back next week as we continue to talk about being fearless. It's a beautiful-